Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable, too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. And when I started running, I suppose I didn't stop. And when I got the chance to go, I said I'd stay going, so I opened up. We're running a small little fish out there, so we are on the... We're trying hard to make it true, but it's hard to get the breaks when you're the smaller fish. Because I love this county so much, you know, and it's just, I'm delighted that the lads, the lads did it for the people of Waterford today because, like, I'm, heart, I'm heartbroken. All right, lads, so we have all our quarterfinals to preview uh, today, but we'll start off with a bit of news. And the first bit of news is that David Fitzgerald is going to stay on as Wexford manager in 2021. I suppose it would, Brian, it would be a strange place for him to leave it on such a terrible year, such an interrupted year. Um, you know, like, I mean, if he wanted to leave on a high point, he probably would have left last year. Um, you know, seems the logical decision considering he's, this season's over and they'll be starting next season pretty soon anyways. Yeah, I suppose when you frame it like that, it, it does make sense that he goes back into the role. I suppose the one thing he said is that he has the backing of the players, and that's what he referred to in his, in his interview in the immediate aftermath of, of the defeat last week to Clare. So um, that's, that's, I suppose, his first and foremost, and that's very, very important that he does have the players backing. Um, but he also referred to the fact that he, he'd only stay if it was for the betterment of the Wexford players. Now, that's debatable. That's subjective, obviously. Um, you know, the results this year were extremely poor. Um, there's no there's no other way of saying it. Like, they, they were very poor. And, you know, you've just seen an interesting statistic the other day, like where, you know, I think that's something like 89 possessions in the first half, yet they only scored two points in play. And I know that was that was into the wind. But still, for all the possession they have, they have to mean creating a huge amount of scoring um, chances. And, you know, Davey referred to after the Galway game, we're having four different, you know, um, four different formations and a couple of different styles, and it, it just look obviously we're only looking in from the outside. It just looks to be as if it's, uh, you know, almost being overcoached and they're overthinking the game. Yeah, well, there could be an argument for that, Cheddar. What do you think? They scored thirty-four points in two games, which is two points less than Limerick scored in one game against Clare. Um, 
I know. I, I, I would disagree with Brian. I would agree with some of the points Brian is making. Uh, you know, certainly around the backing of the players, and you need the backing of everybody, but crucially the panel. And it's not just the players; it's the panel. Actually, the most important players in your dressing room are probably numbers twenty to thirty, um, and they're always the ones that you probably need to pay most attention to. Uh, Cheddar, uh, Cheddar, can I can I just because just that, that you're starting on that point, can I just put, throw this to you that the backing of the panel is probably the backing of five or six of the leaders in the panel. I know it's not Woolly. It actually isn't. It, they're crucial. Of course they are, because ultimately they should reflect how the panel uh, feels about things. But it might not always be the case. Um, and you have to actively keep your finger on the pulse the whole time. And the ones you really need to keep the finger on the pulse are 20 to 30, because ultimately they're the players that maybe not be getting the games and all of that. You need to spend a lot of time at that. Um, so, look, there's a little bit in that. Um, and clearly your leaders, if your leaders go against you, like it, it, it's, you know, you've got to go at that stage. You've got yeah. to, you know, you have no, you have no choice at that stage. But, but I go back to a couple of things. Um, you know, 2019, they were on a crest of a wave, won a Leinster championship, uh, should have beaten Tipperary, had a huge chance maybe to win in All-Ireland. But look, there's, an, there's still another game to be played there at that stage. Um, and uh, incredibly, lost the, uh, the game against Tipperary playing the type of hurling that they shouldn't have been playing. You know, I think we commented a lot on that last year. Um, and I, I suppose, you know, Davy is going forward here at the minute, um, but he needs to figure out, you know, why was there flat performance this year? And like, you know, so, so what was the mindset, I suppose, of everybody coming into 2020? And, you know, if it was, we're nearly there, um, you know, just another little push over the line, we get us there, you know, that wouldn't have been good enough. Because that was last year, and things change. Other teams get better and improve. So you know, you might have been within touch conditions of the line, but the other dish, the other teams might have prepared much better than you this year. Um, that's one point I'd make. And the other point I'd make, he, you know, Davey is very, very um, meticulous in planning and and so on. And he just may not have had a chance to do the things he wanted to, to do in 2020. Um, you know, so he, he you know, it, it was a very disruptive year for him in that sense, as it was for everybody else. Um, but I think he really needs to put his finger on what was the cause of limp performance. And it, it's either, it, it, it definitely is not simply, and I think a few, few people refer to this during the week, it's not solely psychological fatigue and it's not overtraining or anything like that because all of these teams have very, very highly qualified conditioning people involved in now who know exactly how this thing works in terms of three weeks hard, one week off and so on and so on and all those windows that you need to give players and all that. I'd be amazed if this was to do with physiological fatigue. And I actually know some of the people that were involved with with uh, strength conditioning in Wexford for the last couple of years. I'm not too sure if they were with them in 2020, but I'd be amazed if that was the sole reason. Now, it could be a, a combination of reasons, psychological or, or a little bit physiological. But I think David needs to find that out. I think the crucial piece that I saw this year that was different in Wexford this year than last year um, the way they play, I've said this before, there's a lot of moving parts going on in the Wexford system. Um, and, you know, there's a lot of things moving that need to move at the same time. Um, and, you know, when you get bodies behind the ball, there's a couple of things you've got to make sure you've got right. There's sort of fundamentals to the way that plays. And one of them is really explosive coming off the shoulder onto the ball because you have numbers on the ball. And the other part is that the mobility in the movement of your forwards inside and how you distribute that inside, the timing of that is really crucial to this. And Wexford done brilliantly in that last year and brought it onto a different stage. Except this year, I just thought that they were very, very low in energy. 
Um, you know, I don't know how many times I saw them going lateral when they didn't need to or going backwards when they didn't need to. And when you do that, then what's Conor McDonald doing inside? He's waiting, waiting, waiting to make his run, but actually the ball doesn't come. And eventually then those runs aren't happening. Um, so I think that's the crucial thing. And I think Davey will look, of course, he's got to speak to the team. He's, of course, got to speak to the players, which also can speak to the people of the trust and figure out, you know, why do we have a limp performance this year and what can we do to make this right for next year? Yeah, I'm sure he'll be doing all those, um, you know, he'll have, be having all those meetings to try and find out. It's a, it's a bit of a, a weird one why they were so flat, because all the talk was, you know, that they finished their hurling club championship early to give Davy loads of prep time. And that was the kind of, um, you know, feeling at the time. And then you kind of realise, well, they have about 90% of their players are dual players and they'd be playing football. And you'd be like, well, sure, they wouldn't be going training with their club. It's hard to know. It looked like it was set up a little bit um, for Wexford, Brian. But I want to go back to a quick point because I have personal experience of this. And I do take Cheddar's point that you have to keep number 20 to 30 on board and all these kind of things. My point on this is, with the backing of the panel, is number 20 to 30 oftentimes aren't the most confident in players' meetings. And players' meetings are often chaired by the seven or eight leaders, you know, like Lee Chin, Matthew O'Hanlon, you know. And, you know, would 20 to 30 criticise a manager that the very best players love? And I have direct experience with this with Mick O'Dwyer, where number 20 to 30 would have had no no real time for Mick because, you know, the A versus B games, it didn't matter how well you played, the A team was always wasn't going to be changed. Um, he'd tell you you were coming on and you wouldn't get coming on. Anyways, I don't want to go too much into it, but the point of the matter is, this is the point I'm trying to make. If there was a question and there was during Mikko's time, does he have the backing of the players? The answer would be an, a resounding yes, he does. When I know for a fact, at least two thirds of the panel would love to see the back of him. Yeah, no, and I, I actually appreciate that point as well, Willie, because... It, 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 no, I don't care no matter who you are you can't keep every single player happy that's actually not possible and those that are most likely to be unhappy are those that are not playing or not featuring regularly so I think that's that's human nature Like, and as I said it doesn't matter what manager is in place it doesn't matter what systems is in place we all train um, with our inter-county or club team to actually play so you're, of course your nose is going to be out joint if you're not playing so, and I'd appreciate the fact that generally those meetings, uh, they'll be my experience as well, um, they are dominated by, you know, the, the leaders. Um, obviously, we're not privy to exactly what we've done in Wexford, whether they no. vote or not. And they were, they'd have been quite, um, you know, emotions would have been running high straight after the game as well, obviously. You know, they would have been forceful that maybe they were disappointed in their own performance and they're quite happy with the setup, how professional it is, etc. And, you know, you, you can't doubt that for a second. So, no, I definitely take take your wider point. I just want to go back on something probably um, I said. I, you know, I felt that they were overcoached. And in fact, that they have too many systems and ways of playing and that sort of thing. Not that they were overtrained. You know, that's a completely separate point, I think. Um, they're overthinking the game. And I think Cheddar picked up that point where he said, you know, they went lateral a lot or sometimes backwards. You know, when in fact, you know, a, a much more direct style at times, you know, in appropriate situations might suit them best. <clears throat> the only other thing and again this is all looking from the outside they haven't had huge changes to their personnel um, in, in terms of the starting 15 over the last number of years um, it's four years on the bounce now for Davy. maybe the only real fundamental change he made was switching his sweeper from Sean Murphy back to Kevin Foley um, and, and we obviously know that that sweeper has progressed over the last number of years um, but you know it's 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 just it's interesting looking at it from Wexford they had such a high last year they were so close to getting to that All-Ireland final um, and, you know, I suppose to be so flat and so disappointing in their performance this year, 
you know, they were completely outfought, outbattled against um, Galway. And then, you know, Davy said himself, they were just, just weren't good enough. They were, they were lacking class against Clare. And you suppose yeah. the other side of it, you have to give some credit maybe to the opposition as well. I, I think that when Davy says they have four game plans, I think people can get bogged down in that because I remember talking to Derek McGrath before and he talked about having different game plans. And like it could be something as subtle as playing one man inside and the rest of them working around midfield to playing two men inside, you know, and the rest working. So, like, I mean, that could be two of his his separate kind of game plans, whereas you're watching that on television and you're not seeing too much difference, Cheddar, you know what I mean? So it, it, it it's difficult when Davey talks. They probably have four different ways of playing, but the, the, the differences could be so subtle that watching a game on television without looking at it back, you know, and with a, an angle behind the goals, you know, to be able to identify it exactly. I think, you know... It's it's probably not as scientific as obviously Davy would be trying to make out. I, I, I do think it's more than that, really, to be honest with you. Um, and I think you know Brian Reyes is a really um, the real interesting point about all of this is if you were playing a different system, well, you can't just switch the button and move because obviously there's going to be different roles for everybody in this, and you need to rehearse, rehearse, rehearse those. Um, and I take her point. That you know you might play maybe two inside, but the movement of a two-man full far line versus a one-man full far line is very, very different. And, and you need everybody needs to know have some sense of what's going on, not know it, know it exactly. But I think Brian Reyes is the most important point of all. Um, you know, structured hurling versus off-the-cuff hurling, um, and you know, you know which is best. And I know there's a middle ground there is ideally what everybody's trying to get. Everybody is trying to get their players. Um, you know, with, with 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 the real tools to do the job, and then they can make the decisions on the field. But that's not the easiest thing to do, particularly if you have uh, a very powerful team. And that's just the way it is. You've just got to take it like that. Uh, and you're going back to your team leaders here again. You know, have you five or six people spread out through your team who can read what's in front of them, but more importantly, who can fix the problems that's in front of them? And more often than not, you don't. Um, so now you you need to structure a lot of the wiring or the hard wiring, as you might want to call it, into your team to make sure that that happens. Uh, I would be gobsmacked if any of the top four teams going into the All-Ireland or the top six teams as they are now going into the All-Ireland wouldn't have four game plans and wouldn't know how to flex them at different times during the game. I, I'd be amazed if they didn't. If I can tell you that. Um, and, and as you say, it could be as simple as, um, you know, maybe playing your corner forward as a, a roving player out in the middle third, so you're dragging out the cornerback that that you that they don't want to allow out there it may be like that but if that's the case what are you doing then on the ball in your half back line are you creating the space that you've left inside that you've created and is that where you're going to put the ball well players need to know that um you know so a lot of the communication and the rehearsals and on that on that uh does need to get done um and i'm just going back then to the point that is versus just playing purely off the cuff you know make it up as you go um, I, I don't think I don't think you know I think most teams will have some structure both organisationally on the field and in the method of play um, that you'll see winning all Ireland in the future I would think um, but look there's a very very good discussion around all of that I believe no no there definitely is I don't even want to talk about the Davy Jer uh, war of words uh, during the week lads well, I think we'll move on from it I, I, I do think Jer I, I, I tell you I just come in on that because it's Go been on. a 
around the media for a little while. Um, and, and first of all, why is it bloody well happening? You know, that was a brilliant Clare team in the 90s. You know, mostly the, there's those players. Um, and they were a very driven team. It was probably their greatest strength, to be honest with you. And they were probably driven by Ger to a large extent. And is this now a residue of what we're seeing in that? I don't know. Um, but I know one thing that winning teams have a sense of togetherness about them that now seems to be broken in Clare, and that's a terrible pity. And I think they need to dial down that whole volume a little bit, the whole lot of them. Um, you remember last year, Wooly, we had a show as well where Ger was criticising, you know, the Clare team, his own yeah. county. Dial down that type of stuff, um, because it's not, is, is it positive or helpful? Is it even real? And I suggest a lot of the times that it isn't. And I compare, um, I read an article recently on David Hickey and Lorna Mercy and Anthony O'Toole, um, who passed away, um, and that Dublin team gathered for three days. Now, bear in mind, this is a 70s team, not even a 90s team, gathered for three days in David's home uh, uh, before Anton passed away, Lorna Mercy and him, and they, you know, they spent three days together. Could you could you see that happen with the current with a lot of the members of the current team in the nineties? I wouldn't think so. And that's a pity, I would say. And they need to they need to bloody well address that. If they're together in the nineties, they need to get together now in in, in the twenties. Yeah, and I I just saying that I think Jared could if he keeps going the way he's going, he'll end up in the kind of Babs Keating kind of you know situation where he's constantly bickering at his own county, and he's a former legend, and he 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 ends up. A little bit like Babs is, where a lot of people in Tipperary would throw their eyes up to heaven when it comes to Babs, instead of respecting his opinion. And Ger's fallen into that trap as well, Brian. He's writing for uh, a tabloid who are only delighted to get salacious, kind of, you know, very critical uh, opinions off him. He's not like that when he's on the Sunday game. And if he is a bit overcritical, he'll have a, like a cheeky grin on his face. And you can kind of understand Ger. Like, I really like Ger Lachnan on the Sunday game. I don't think the star, his piece in that tabloid, is a reflection necessarily of him. And I don't think his personality comes across in them. No, yeah, I actually appreciate those points as well. And I suppose I'd, I'd echo what, what, you know, Cheddar is saying as well. It is a pity to see it happen. And it's, you know, this jibing across, you know, national media. Look, it's 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 absolute delight for national media that they're filling column inches on this. But, you know, it is a pity to see players that have soldiered together and how much the whole Brian Lowe and Davy Fitzgerald, you know, falling out has how much airtime that's got as well. And, you know, it's it really is sad to see because you just any of us does a group in that area, we knew how tight they were as a group. And um, you know, it is a pity. And look, I, I think you're a hundred percent right about your look man. He's so passionate um a person when you meet him. He's infectious. And you know, as you said, his best points probably come out um, when you meet him in person, or at times he obviously came across really, really well on the Sunday game. Um, but he's not afraid, obviously, to be critical, and he shoots from the hip sometimes. Um, and sometimes when that comes down on paper, um, it doesn't come across very well. Yeah, no, I think that's it. Right, let's we'll move on from that because Cotton Mannion has been talking about the water break. I've been kind of ignoring water break analysis, boys, just because um, I don't like calling them quarters. And I, I know it's a temporary thing. And I'm, the sooner this whole thing is gone, the better. So I don't, I don't want to over overdo it. But Colin Mannion has been talking during the week, uh, Cheddar, and he says, I think every team is at it now. Every team is using it as much as they can. It's a break in play. It's almost like a half time where you might change one thing or another. Every team is at it. Now, it's not supposed to be a half time. It's not supposed to be a team talk. It's supposed to be a quick drink. Um, Cheddar, I suppose it's it's fairy tale stuff for managers, really. I suppose from your point of view, Cheddar, um, whether you're going to be 
answer this with your manager's hat on or, you know, a spectator's uh, hat, potentially? I'll answer with a couple of hats on. Uh, (laughs) I'll say, first of all, um, it's a player safety thing, first of all. Um, because of COVID, we're not allowed to take the breaks. So there's a whole lot of issue around use around um, hydration bottles and all of those things. Um, so that's the first point to make about it here. And, and hydration is probably the single biggest contributor to drop in performance by players and to drop in certain mental clarity in players and flat performance and all of those. Um, so so that's the, the first thing. And there's a huge amount of science around all of this now in terms of hydration, when you do it, how much you drink, what you drink, where you drink. Some players need it more than others. Um, and why it's important in terms of transportation and nutrients to your body and blah, 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 all of that type of stuff. So that's the crucial point here in this. But the second point where teams are doing it anyway, Wooly. Um, you know, I don't know how many times we would have planned uh, a feign, an injury. Um, it might be... <laughs> I don't know why you'd have a goalkeeper with contact. There's not too many goalkeepers with contact lenses and so on and so on. So teams were started doing it anyway um, to, to do things. And I'm going back to Davies for game plans. You may want to bring the game plan after 50 minutes or 30 minutes or 45 minutes. Um, and it gives you a little chance to do that. But you only have a minute to do it. The referee had full control of this. And I think this is where it has broken down a little bit. And generally speaking, the, the restart of the game is a cookout from either team. So if you're not out in the field, you can concede fairly early. And I think there was a game, a club game somewhere where that actually happened. So it's up to the referee to tell both teams beforehand, you have whatever time it is, if it's one minute or whatever it is, to get over, uh, get your water on board or whatever you're drinking, get back out in the field again, because I am going to start the game. And I think that will just cut it out straight away. Right. Well, here's here's my theory on this, Brian, is that like, I mean, and this is great that we're talking about this in the hurling show, because you tell me now, this is just me looking from the outside. Do, do you have hurley carriers on the sideline and you might have one for the forwards and one for the backs and you'll have the six or seven hurls lined out in a row. All their names will be on it. What is against you having a bottle with the name on it? TJ Reid, Colin Fenley, Richie Hogan, whatever, down along. Now, only maybe two of these fellas in a half. I remember I used to look for water three times in a half, and that was without being out the night before. I always needed water just because my mouth my mouth would get dry in Croke Park especially. I'd be constantly, I'd say to the water carrier, stay down near me, I need it. That's grand. Other lads I could look at wouldn't need it the whole half. So if you have, say, TJ Reid, Colin Fenley, we know they need water. There's their two bottles with their name on it. Why can't we just throw it in? Why does the whole game have to stop? Is there not an easier way to do this, especially in hurling, you have an exact kind of uh, set of, um, you know, kind of root conditions for when a hurley's broken. Yeah, I actually, I tend to agree with you. I understand why it was brought in initially and it was around player safety and player welfare um, during the club's window. And obviously it was some bit hotter during the um, summer, um, you know, when, when maybe we needed a little bit more. But I felt it, it it does take a little bit from the game. I think that was the general feeling across the board, you know, when it was, you know, introduced during the club season. And we've seen, like, professional sports change. We've seen the, the premiership. There's probably the, the one we can refer to easiest. Like, they had it, you know, prior, uh, when, the, when the restart of the Premier League happened. But when the new league, when the new um, season came in, obviously they got rid of the water break because they realised that it was, you know, it, it was it was leading to those sort of situations that we're talking about where they become little um, resets for managers and that's not what we want and you know 
the, the water breaks at the weekend, I think the, particularly the, the Limerick-Waterford game, that, that, those water breaks, and that's exactly what Cheddar's saying, they were way too long, you know, and the referee yeah. has the right to blow the whistle and make sure they get back out in the field much sooner. And that's, I, pro, I suppose, is a, a point of contention. I don't think they're going to change it between here and the, the end of the season. They're going to continue with it because they won't change the conditions which the, in which the championship started. It's not that much of a burning issue. But uh, you would obviously like that, you know, whenever... Um, please God, the league or whatever starts up next year, that you know that particular rule will be gone. Yeah. What do you think of that, Cheddar? Well, I should come in on that, lads. For the moment, we're actually currently in a, in a level five lockdown at the moment. The issue about um, water people in the sideline handling water bottles to people that are then going to drink out of them is a virus transmission issue. Right. And I'm absolutely certain that HSE doctors would say, no, no. But I, uh, yeah, I assumed when Willie's saying that, that to be just left on the side of the ground, you go pick them up yourself. You know, that'd be my understanding. And I appreciate what you're saying as well, Cheddar. You know, then, you, couldn't, then, you couldn't have a situation where, you know, players are handing them across, like, you know, or yeah, know that, water carriers. That, that was originally the really, really But they wouldn't, be, they, they wouldn't be throwing them by the nozzle, Cheddar. Um, I will hand them around to that at all. I mean, so, right. so you, you know, so just for a minute, how are you going to do it at the minute? Or I just going back on ourselves. Um, and, and and Brian is right. Some players, you know, need an awful lot. Just for some players, sweat more than others to need more water and so on, and so on. It is very difficult to make it work because you leave it on the sideline and then the players go down the sideline and he falls over the bottle or something like that. You know, it might sound silly to you, but if it happens and somebody gets injured or something like that, and you have a table on the sideline or something like that, these are all the little issues that need to be considered. And I, I think for the minute, I think I'm quite happy to see it go as it is at the minute. But stick to the, to the one minute, and the referee says to him, I'm starting the match regards. You're not starting it, I'm going to give you a free in or something like that. You know, I just think cut out the, the length of time and go with it. One final point I'd say on it look, basketball does this, and a lot of other sports do it. The reason that a lot of them do it is actually nothing to do with the breaks to, to a large extent, it is to generate revenues for their sport. Um, so if you have TV, yeah. audience, that's where revenues are going to come to GA a lot in the future. And you can now plug in some advertising. You can now charge a higher fee for TV transmission and so on, so on, so on. So there's, a, there's a probably a couple. Of, I don't have a huge issue with it, to be honest with you. Um, but I just think that it's too bloody long. And, and, you know, a game has just gone into the melting pot and suddenly, bang, it stopped. And then it restarts again. And, and, and that I just think it breaks the continuity in the sport and we play a little bit too much if it goes over the one minute. Yeah. Sorry, I was the same as you. I need a lot of water. Um, when you'll be playing and we were playing a club game earlier in the year and we were in the last we said the last quarter you know maybe about five minutes to go and I was absolutely parched and it was a particularly hot day as well and I was roaring for water and no one to bring me water and eventually one of the selectors had bottled his hand and I just pulled it out of his hand and drank it so all COVID protocols went out to window <laughs> at that stage Oh well if I, if I was playing like I'd often if no one would come down with water in time for me I'd go in and rub the opposition goalkeeper's water he'd have it hidden in the corner of his goal so you could go down and take it off him <laughs> Yeah, they would, they would, they would. Most keepers would give it to you, yeah. But if they wanted to be cheeky. Just before I go off that point, Brian, I, I never knew Woolley to be out the night before of a match. <laughs> just never, it never happened, Cheddar, and that was it. So, listen, Jesus, can imagine, Jesus, in the future, Cheddar, you're not painting a good picture for me here. So, there's a the first quarter, the final quarter of an All Ireland hurling final, and we go to the water break and we head away to bloody adverts. This broadcast has been brought to you by Land Rovers. <laughs> yeah, this is the future. Yeah, no, 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 look, it's just an, a, a thing to be considered. Uh, I'm only joking. No, it probably is. 
No, clearly, if if the, if uh, please God, COVID goes and we have a vaccine, if that will 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 solve the issues for us, I'm not sure it will. But if it did, great. Now we've a completely different set of circumstances to review, and you know, I think people might look at it at that stage and to say, is is what we have at the minute worse than having two water carriers running in and off the field the whole time? You know, so I think p- let people go back and review what's happening now versus what ha- happened previous to this and make a decision on it and we'll move on. But if it's a minute, leave it at a minute. Yeah, OK, right. We'll agree on that. I want a final word here, Les, to Ben O'Connor. You don't hear from Ben O'Connor um, that all all that often in the media. And he's this is like a rallying cry on behalf of all hurling people across the world. So he's given out about referees. And like, I mean, this would be music to most hurling people's um, ears. I don't know how he just ended up talking or what the, the hook was to have him talking about sendings off. But he says, no one wants to see anyone get a bad belt or a dirty slap, but they're taking the manliness out of the game. Once it's hard, fast and on the ball, it should be left up to the referee after that. If or It's not a sending off offence and 99% of the time a fella doesn't mean it. It should be left to the referee to call it as to see it. Not some fella up in the stand who never played the game saying that's a yellow card offence. And this is the best part. The problem is Mammy's at home saying my Johnny's only six. I don't want him getting a slap because I'd have to look after him. He says the GE are trying to make it more appealing to young lads thinking um, we can't get any of this stuff or we can't have any of this stuff in the game. I don't know, Brian. I don't know where this outburst has necessarily come from, <laughs> but he's definitely he's definitely been, hold, been kind of holding this inside for a while and has eventually had a chance to to get it out. Yeah, and probably saying exactly what all hurling people are saying. You know, it's like seriously, lads, will you stop trying to mess up our game? We love the manliness of it. Uh, look, obviously, not everyone agrees, but like. Without being too nostalgic, you know, you think back to some of the battles Tipperary and Kilkenny had or Kilkenny and Galway or Tip and Galway and just how physical they were and the games were let run. And you know the difference. I think that's his crucial point. You know the difference between intent yeah. and, and you know, maybe a, a clumsy challenge. Um, so, it, like, you know, you really don't want to see sending offs too, too often or com- becoming too prevalent in the game and soft yellow cards for technical fouls. Um, now, I do think the black card is a separate issue, and I know he didn't raise that up, but, you know, we're talking about, like, the professional fouls, as, as it's often referred to in soccer. Like, they are creeping into the game, and they are becoming an issue. Uh, you know, and look, I, I know we've talked about different things there. People are talking about bringing in the black card, which, to me, is an absolute no-no, and I think to most of the people, it's a no-no. Um, I think those professional fouls where they're trying to stop clear goal-scoring opportunities, you know, should be an automatic penalty. But anyway, that's... that's um, that's going off point maybe a little bit, but you know Ben O'Connor I think speaks the truth. We don't hear from him too often, and I think he's exactly right. We don't want to see too many soft yellow cards, um, and you know obviously the accumulation of two yellows means reds, and that's not the way we want Hurland to go. It's not that type of game. Yeah, what what do you, what do you think, uh, uh, Cheddar? Like I mean, I, basically what Brian's saying is what has been explained to me since. I started doing this show is that hurling people know a dirty belt and they know, uh, you know, a hard belt and a belt that's trying to injure somebody versus a belt that might be mistimed. Like, I mean, is there an argument here that, you know, that the game is becoming more stop start? The flow is being changed by taking the manliness out of it. Um, I think Woolly, just not necessarily hurling people. I think everybody knows when there's a, a belt drawn, that's that's the cause injury to anybody. You don't need to be a hurling person to know that, I think. Um, I, I, it's gas, because I was actually thinking about this last week, 
Um, and I didn't realize that Ben had spoken about this. And I think it's important to remember, you know, Ben is very much up to hurling. Ben was coaching Charleville to a very high level coach Middleton this year. Um, and the thing I would say about Ben is the context of this. Um, you know, Ben wasn't a hard man who was hurling. He was a very, very skillful player. So he's speaking from a skillful player, not that, you know, the hard man is gone. He's certainly not speaking about that. But I think we, we do need to be specific about what we're talking about here. And I think that the the head-high tackle needs to be looked at because is it a head-high tackle that's a danger to you? Because, you see, an awful lot of players have got very good now at, at knocking the head back as they come into the tackle. And, of course, it doesn't look good, and then it's the yellow card. When, when the defending player or the attacking player have no, you know, you're, you're sort of stuck into it with your arm up around the neck or something like that, and then you drop or hurling your two hands up into the air. And it just, I just think we need to look at that. Is it as dangerous as what people are saying? I, I fully get and I will fully be with the medical people on this with regard to head injuries and that. But I think I'd, I'd certainly like to see GAA doctors looking at the current uh, um, and the way referees are refereeing the current head tackle because that's the one that's the problem here. That's the one that's kept blowing. And of course, when it happens, you're on a yellow card. And now it's very, very difficult for you as a defender. I think if we specifically looked at that at the minute, we'd probably take a lot of silly frees out of the game. And we'd stop lads and particularly Brian Handy forward um, from from sucking the the, the the tackler into that type of a of a, um, a tackler that type of a free and then getting a yellow card and that far I think that I don't really like seeing that in the game. But I I, I finish up on that point. I'd say safety of players is paramount. And certainly, if GA doctors came together and to say, "Yeah, I hear what you're saying. It is a little bit of a problem, but the alternative is equally too risky for players." Well, then I'd fully accept that. But I'd like that to be looked at specifically. Yeah. Okay. Right. Go on, Brian. No, you're right, right to defend yourself here against. Yeah. Uh, no. 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 Yeah. I think. I think. No. I think he's right, and it is another issue that's creeping into the game, um, where there is a certain type of player, you know, and it's not necessarily just forwards. Um, you know, you see, you see a lot of players doing it now. When they know there's a tackle coming in, they duck the head down and go into the challenge, thinking, you know, that's going to be automatically a free. You know, it's going to be seen as a head high challenge, and. I, again, this comes back probably to the wider point that um, you know Ben O'Connor's making. You know the really top class referees that have maybe played the game to a high level. They know the difference. They can see in the in the body language. They know exactly what that player is trying to do, and they don't award the free. You know, or they maybe blow him for for charging, or blow him for over carrying, or whichever. And they can see that difference. Whereas some of those maybe less experienced or players that maybe haven't played to the high level are following it to the letter of the law because of the assessors up in the, up in the stands. They are blowing those type of frees. And, you know, that's, it's frustrating for people to understand the game when they know that a person's buying a free, for want of a better word. And then on top of that, really, they're actually risking, the, the, they're risking their own body in terms of going, putting their head down and, and could actually risk getting fairly heavy knock on the head in those situations. So, no, I definitely agree with you on that one. That's one one that I think if, if you're seeing, if, to me, if you're ducking your head into a challenge, I actually automatically think it should be a free the other way. Yeah, I'm surprised the players that do that and buy frees because it is coming into the game, Cheddar, and it's coming into the game more so now that players are starting to use their hands more to tackle, where I, I don't know, did they always do that? But they seem to be holding players up and then they might make a meal out of it. And, like, I mean, considering the manliness of hurling and the tradition of manliness, you'd wonder how these players, you know, how they'd be treated in the hurling world if they're willing to, you know, you know buy soft frees, which seems to be against the spirit of what hurling's all about. 
Um, look, Woody, I hear an awful lot about the manliness of hurling. You know, let's kill that straight away. I, I, I hate his talking up uh, something in our sport when the same thing is in an awful lot of other sports. Let's kill that. Is it a tough physical game um, played in the right spirit and all of that? Of course it is. But look, there's, so, there's a whole lot of other uh, games are the same. But I, I just go back to the point. I mean, in the last couple, in the last maybe 10 or 15 years, um, the level of coaching is of a much higher level. Players now tackle the, the, the ball hand um, or they might tackle lower body or something like that. You know, players and coaches will find a way around this eventually. Um, but I, I just think you could remove all of that and the flow of the game will be much, much better. And, and I, I absolutely agree with Reiner spot on about the referee reading this and seeing the player either ducking or throwing the head back as a, as a feigning of a of a head-high tackle and that. Um, I think they could start, to, if, if the free went the other way, and I have seen it a couple of times that happen, actually. Um, um, if it went the other way, I think it might cut it out. But I think the GA should just look at that um, because it's all encapsulated by the health and safety of the player. And I'm, I'd say 90% of those tackles have the health and safety issue around them. Um, there are other things going on that have. And I think we need to be just specific about that and then take it out. If it's not a free in, well, then, you know, bodies are free out. And Brian's right. Everybody, everybody's going on. Everybody's on about it. Yeah, no, they are right, lads. We've done enough there. We'll, we'll have a look at the games next. And the yeah. game takes on, can very, very often then take on a life of its own. What's tactics? I mean, you've got to make decisions and you've got to decide what you're going to do. And at the end of the day, you hand it over to the players and the players play, you know. The game was fast, was furious, was, it had everything really, you know, and you, know, you, you don't have too much influence on what's happening. What happened last year, it goes out the window or the year before or whenever it was. Tipperary, don't go away. They are, they are as they are. And the yeah. game takes on, can very, very often then take on a life of its own. Okay, lads, so the big one this weekend, if we're being honest, no disrespect to Waterford and Clare, it's Galway and Tipperary. And I suppose this is the big one based on their kind of three games between 15 and 17, which Galway were 2 1 up, um, if I'm not uh, mistaken. I was reading an interesting piece here, um, Cheddar, I think it was in The Independent, and they were talking about Tipperary and how they're the most bordered county in the country. So they are, it's not. This is not a matter of opinion. They are the most bordered county. And then you always wonder, I don't know if it's hurting people I talk to. I get the impression Tipperary aren't that well liked. Now, I know they'd be cocky enough, but there are lots of counties that are cocky about hurling. And then maybe it is something to do with they're fighting border battles on all sides. So they have Limerick and Clare to the west. They have Cork and Waterford to the south. They have Kilkenny to the east. Even up north, they have Offaly and they have Leash. And I'm wondering, is there ever, like, is Tip? The county that has to deal with rivalries more than any other county. I actually never thought about that, really, and it's interesting that you should bring it up um, because the more interesting point about that is that all the hur- all the bordering counties are actually hurling counties. And if you were to take Galway itself, well, you know, no disrespect to Mayo um, or Roscommon or that, you know, the, some of the counties just wouldn't have that. They'd have it in the football and that as well. So there's a little bit in that. There's always huge rivalry. I mean, Kilkenny or Tip. Um, anywhere around Erlingford or Johnstown or anything like that, or, or Carrick and, you know, and Tip and Water or anything like that, um, you know, it would be serious. Um, or Newport and Limerick and so on and so on, you know, it would be serious. Um, I, I think it's driven a little bit woolly by the Tip team of the 60s, and there's probably some residue left in this as well. 
uh, they were a seriously, seriously tough and hard team that sometimes might have stepped over the bounds a little bit. Um, and I certainly know an awful lot of uh, neutral older people that just wouldn't have the same graph or tip that they might have for other countries. And I just know from speaking to them that it's based a little bit on that period of hurling. They had some seriously, seriously hard men. And there's a little bit of residue in that. But you certainly couldn't say that about the tip team of anywhere the last 20 or 30 years. Actually, an awful lot of tip people would say we could do a little bit more of what we had back in the 60s and that we win more championships because of it. Um, so there may be some reasons for it. The, the other side of it is successful teams. Um, look, you know, people like the underdogs. So if Tipperary are playing Clare or Limerick or Waterford um, or Offaly or Leash or whoever, you know, people will cheer for the underdog. And that's going to happen a lot of, ta- a lot of times with Tip or Kilkenny or, 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 or with Cork. Yeah, exactly. What do, what do you think, Brian? I know Offaly wouldn't have that kind of border rivalry because they're in different provinces. But you know, they're they're maybe because like Cheddar says, that makes sense that it's the sixties. Because in my time following hurling, I don't ever remember seeing a Tipperary team that you go, Jesus, I, I I'm not too fond of them. Yeah, well, I take that back. There is a huge rivalry between Offaly and Tipperary. Any time that we do meet, we haven't met a huge amount. Oh yeah, it's it's <laughs> the yeah, especially around our areas, obviously. Um, huge hurling areas, you know, you know, we've Coolary and Burr and whatever coming very close to Ross Gray. And obviously, so we have some clubs that play in opposite championships. Obviously, Carrick and Riverstown, which is in Tipperary, plays in the Offaly Championship, and Money Call, which is in Offaly, plays in the Tipperary Championship. So, uh, no, there is a huge rivalry for any few times that we've met, but unfortunately, Tipperary have always come out the, the best side of it. Um, and you go back to even to the under 21, I learned in 1989, you know, in Port Leash, the game had to be delayed. There was such a crowd going to that game. So, um, you know, massive, massive rivalry there. Tip, like, no, I appreciate what you're saying, and maybe for the older generation, that that's you know there is that's been maybe bred down through the years that you know people generally um, aren't the biggest fans of Tipperary, um, and then like maybe at times Tipperary haven't helped themselves. You know, like they they stopped Kilkenny winning the five in a row, and. Um, that should, should be cheered, the underdogs, no? no? Yeah, so let me finish the point. So to all <laughs> intents and purposes, you know, they went on to win them 21 and it looked like they were going to dominate. But they kind of got in their own way in terms of getting ahead of themselves. You know, we hear, we hear all we started to hear about was how much Tipperary, maybe it's because I live close to Tipperary, but how much Tipperary were going to dominate. They were going to, you know, win three or four of the next All-Irelands and we hear all that kind of rubbish. And then, like, People are going, oh, hold on now, you've only won one here, like, <laughs> slow down. Like, but now there was, um, there was no one from inside any team saying, that's support. That's how supporter and media supporters. talk. Yeah, of course it is. But that's that's what happens and that's what filters out. We're talking about general supporters here yeah. um, are generally the ones with this feeling. Like among players, players don't, unless there's a, a an on-field rivalry where you're meeting each other regularly, like, you know, players have the same respect and kind of want to beat the other team regardless of the county so no I, like I thought this is what we're talking about the more general point of, of Tipperary yeah yeah no maybe look maybe it's the supporters who knows maybe it's the 60s team nobody will know but I don't know there just was that general um, feeling for me about Tipperary not being like of course only the, I think it's the border issue I think that's it I think I've cracked it it's the border issue or whoever wrote the piece in the independent cracked it and I just read it before you go off of that, I just I just tell you an interesting two interesting things about that, um, and one of them happened before Offaly. It happened, Brian, in your dad's time when Tip and Offaly 
um, when Offaly were doing really well in the early 80s. I understand all along the border of Carrick Riverstown, all along there was very, very interesting. You know, people at Open Gate and that cattle out the road and there might be driven into a cornfield and all these things were going on. It was really serious. <laughs> the only interesting one was um, in, oh, it's a good number of years ago now, Brian uh, mentioned Moneygall. Moneygall, actually Moneygall hurling pits is in Tipperary, but the village is actually in Offaly. Um, and a good part of its club is actually based in Offaly. And some of, you know, I coached Moneygall one time, it's a long number of years ago now, but interesting, some of the players would come to training in tip jerseys and some would come in Offaly jerseys. Now they were very dedicated to their club. It was a brilliant, brilliant club. But I remember one of the days we were playing Lura over in Ballangari, I think it was, Brian, in an under-21, maybe North Tip semi-final or quarter-final, like can't remember what it was but but it, it was a fairly tasty game and and um you know i was obviously talking to the money god players but there was a, a number of the of the Lura supporters uh were shouting at me to go back to my own county and i used to say to myself how the hell do you know where i'm from and from from Leeds at, at that stage you know i put a penny drop of me after the while they're actually talking to go back to Offaly, not back to Leeds. <laughs> um you know so there maybe could be a little bit of that anyway, or a little bit of that yeah, but also pick up on a point on that. Actually, Joe Oakley received a lot of abuse back around um, the two thousand or the ninety eight and two thousand. In around those times, obviously, Joe plays for the Carrick Riverstown um, club, and you know he he's postal dress obviously or, or lives in Tipperary, but uh, you know played for Offaly all his life, underage, played senior, very fine career, played fourteen years for Offaly. Couldn't meet a more committed man to the Offaly cause, um, and. He took a lot of abuse, you know, things written on the road and things written in, you know, different places and a lot of people kind of, a lot of hardship that time. So it it has been quite bitter at times. Yeah, it's it's sad to see really, you know. Yeah, jeez, I don't know. Maybe it's, uh, Conal Keeney has a very, uh, has a dislike for Tipperary. Maybe that's the impression I used to get when he was when he was on the show. Anyways, we'll move on for that. Tipperary, in my opinion, in my lifetime, have never had hit, never had teams that you take a, in any dislike to. And, and to be fair, most counties have obnoxious uh, supporters so I don't really know exactly I don't really know we'll go with the border one what do we what do we how do we see this going as this seems to be um Brian I'll start with you it's a great it's a great draw for both teams really because you get over this and now you're really back in the mix rather than kind of you know maybe sauntering on through it not really sure how you're going yeah like I suppose Galway like Galway were cruising in that Leinster final, they, they were really good. What I what I loved about Galway was they were bold in the fact that they weren't afraid to mix it up. They played Park Mannion kind of as a auxiliary uh, sweeper at times. Yeah. He off for the vast majority of the game, he dropped back into that sweeper position. They conceded the puck out to Kilkenny. So what they were trying to do there, obviously, was try and you know hurl Kilkenny or force Kilkenny to hurl where they're most uncomfortable or have traditionally been most uncomfortable over the last number of years. Because, um, you know, we all know that they have struggled with short yeah. hookouts. They've generally just hit it to a cornerback and just lamp it down the field. Um, and, you know, obviously with Caldwell filtering numbers back, they were thinking, well, that's going to suit us. Um, and obviously Kilkenny have struggled against sweeper systems and we probably saw that particularly against Wexford and at times against Waterford. So that was bold from Shane O'Neill and from the Galway setup to actually try that. And, did it work fully? I suppose there were five points up, so it was working. There's no, there's no doubt about it. Did they completely dominate the game? They didn't. Kilkenny were certainly much better at dealing with the short puck out and working it through the lines. Um, they've clearly done a huge amount of work on that, and they were a lot more comfortable with dealing with short ball in the middle third. Um, 
Galway probably got some of their matchups right as well. You know, how often do we see Colin Fennelly and Walter Walsh being taken off? Both of them gone, you know, within the 51st minute, I think it was. So And, and TJ um, out of it until the last 10 minutes yeah, as well. Yeah, and you know, amazingly, and this is a point that I've been kind of touching on for a while, TJ was better when he went in full forward. Now, he probably brought Joseph Cooney into a position he didn't really want to go, and that was clever on Kilkenny's behalf. Um, and eventually, Galway had to change that after he scored the goal. But, you know, TJ at centre-forward, he can be bottled up a little bit more. He does a huge amount of work, but he's probably not getting on the score sheet enough because he's doing a lot of work, a lot of selfless work out around the middle third, being a link player and working really, really hard. But at full forward, he's absolutely lethal. And, you know, if you go back, throwback is not that long ago, it's 2014 when you had those great battles against Tipperary. He was excellent at full forward. You know, and he can obviously win it high, low. He's a great eye for goal. Obviously, he can score points too over the shoulder. So he's brilliant in there. But you see, obviously, they've, they're looking at that going, well, that's Colin Fenley's position. And he's been hurling really well there for Ballyhale and for Kilkenny. So, you know, it's interesting to see, will they change that up? And I know TJ was wearing 13 at the weekend, but he played most of that game at centre forward. So, um, you know, that's interesting. So Galway were, were kind of going well. But look, let's be honest, Richie Hogan changed that game almost single-handedly. His introduction was was just sublime. You know, 1-2, he really should have had 2-1. He set Martin Keown up for... You know, almost a goal. Very unlucky. Went wide of the wide of the post. You know, he threw out another hand pass. I think it was to Liam Blanchfield for a point. So, Richie's introduction was the change of that game. So, Galway maybe coming into this game at Saturday a little bit disappointed with how they finished out the game, how they closed it out. Um, yeah. You know, whereas on the flip side of it, Tipperary have been just about stuttering along. You know, obviously they were disappointed with how they played against Limerick. Um, you know, even though Limerick obviously are a juggernaut at the moment and they're the team to beat but still Tipperary would have been disappointed with their with their performance they they learned from that they got a lot more we, we call that in the show they got a, everyone called it I suppose to be fair um, they, look, they brought a lot more physicality to it in terms of their personnel on the field Mikey Brain with or Mikey Breen with five points in play obviously Dan McCormick back in Bonner Maher back in you know Willie Connors introduction was excellent as well so Tipperary definitely learned from it but still, they didn't get a 70-minute performance out of them against Cork. At halftime, it didn't look good for them. And Jeez, tip, to... tip, tip were dreadful in the first half, were they? Yeah, they were. They were. And like, with the wind, it was brutal. And I know Patrick Horgan interception goal was excellent. It kept maybe Cork um, on the heels of Tipperary. But still, their performance in that first half was very, very poor. But on the flip of that, you have to give them credit. That second half performance was excellent. It's exactly what she's been crying out to. But they'll have to do that for 70 minutes and more if they're going to beat this Galway team. Yeah, what do you think, Cheddar? And just to, to touch on, if you want to touch on his Porik Mannion, the, the the obvious uh, kind of midfielder dropping back as a sweeper. And it's hard to tell on the television. I'm sure Cahill probably drops back on the midfielder and they give the other team a sweeper. Do Galway need to do that? I would see the Galway defence has been more than kind of strong enough physically, you know, and, you know, hurling-wise to maybe manage without one. Sorry, before Cheddar comes in that, I just want to just stress on, on that one. They were doing that because they, they, they would have felt that Kilkenny were most vulnerable to a sweeper system. And don't right, so they might, not, they might not. So it, it won't be their system going forward, in my right. opinion. I thought, they, I thought they were dropping Man Porrick back against Wexford as well, no? But they would have had a spare defender anyway because of obviously the fact that... Ah, um, yeah, they gave them that, yeah, they gave them yes. that. Okay, I'll throw that to you, Cheddar. No, I think against Wexford, uh, you're right, um, but he was just dropping. He was a defensive midfielder as such. Once the ball was in the air, he was scooting behind. Actually, Cool had done that brilliantly, winning to all Ireland. And I'm surprised that Dublin haven't uh, done it better with Matty. Um, 
look, it's it's going to be a fantastic game. I think uh, uh, first of all, I think Galway were quite good um, the last day. You know, I I, I see what Damien wrote about it. Um, I I don't think they're going to make a huge amount of changes. To be honest with you, I think what they do need to do is cut out errors. Um, and they need to take the chances that come to them. You know, it, it might sound simple, but if you look at the goalkeeping um, position, um, you, you know, the, the, the position, you know, just wasn't wasn't up to what you would want it to be. Um, but that that goal actually came from a poor sideline from Joe. That Galway lost possession on. He went to do the seven iron uh, to a Galway player. Didn't didn't go to hand. Kenny uh, turned it over. Parry put it into the box, and then the goal went in. Um, so, so, so I just think that they need to cut down on handling errors and ball uh, moving of the ball errors and that. Um, and clearly, they need to take. I mean, Galway had much more chances than Kilkenny, and they had more goal chances than Kilkenny had. Um, so, if if that had a win for Galway and one or two goals went in, and the Kilkenny ones didn't go in, Galway could have been looking at maybe winning seven or eight pints in that game and closing out the game by that. And then we were in St. James, they're, they're in good form there. Um, so I, I, I think Shane would be. I don't. I, Shane, I don't know Shane, but he he, he certainly um, um, looked to me to be a you know a cool man who stands back and and uh, certainly won't be to be no knee jerk reaction to the way it will go over here. I would think. Um, and I think what he's really looking at is to be sharper, um, to be more clinical when the opportunities come, and to cut out the, the mistakes and give them away the possession. Tip, I think, is a little bit different. I've definitely changed their team, and as Brian says, I think everybody, I'm, you know, really surprised about this because they're a fanta- very, very intelligent management team who would think an awful lot of things. But the team that played the last day could have beaten Limerick, in my view, you know, with the way they were set up. Now, that would very well be that, that McCormack and Michael Breen, in particular, had an absolute blinder um, because, you know, the, 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 the chips were down for them. Their heads were at the block. I have to perform here and give my opportunity and the play way above themselves. I don't know. But their shape certainly looked better to take on a Limerick than the team that they had out against Limerick. But the, the thing about Tip and Brian has touched on it. Um, you, you know, you're now stepping up. Um, you know, each performance is a step up. And some of these games, most of these games are going to be won by a pint either way. That's how close it is. And have Tip found real form yet? I don't think they have. And if you look at these scoring rates, maybe from their full forward line the last day, um, Michael Green, I think he might have scored more from play maybe than Jason Smith and, and Jake Morris did if you take out Jake Morris's goal. That was scored in the last minute. Um, so are they... Are they a fully oiled machine at the minute? No. The one thing I will say about this tip team, and they've proved it since 2010, is that in any given year, in the middle of the year, they seem to be able to find form, and they're the one team that can do this. Um, and, you know, I, I think they're a stronger team out at the minute. But to just go back to the point, I just think that the other kind of other ways that the game is in is obviously, it's in Limerick, I think. Isn't that right? It is, um, yeah. I'm not so sure that Tip play fears well there. I know that should have nothing to do with it. It's a green field with grass on it and two goalposts, as Catter Healy said to do one day. Um, <laughs> uh, you know, for five that it's different. But for some reason or another, I've just seen Tip being sluggish in Limerick for some reason. When you would think of it, it's home from home. I mean, all, all southwest tips, it's only a hurl of a ball into, into the Gaelic grounds. Um, but I, I just think that Galway at the minute have better form with good players, with good players who can, who can, you know, they can, they can play the hard game if you want, or they can play the, the, the hurling game if you want to. And I just think, 
I think they will fix corner back. I think uh, a young Loftus had a difficult time to start with. I think they'll be more clinical, um, and I just think they'll have enough to get over the line. But these are these are one point one way or the other games. Yeah, a few a few great matchups to look forward to: Dottie Burke versus Shamey Callan, and that's going to be some uh, matchup. And Brendan Marr versus Canning. Brendan Marr seems to be Sheedy's kind of go-to man marker. Joe Cooney was kind of uh, Galway's go-to man marker, but outside of Callan and playing full forward. Dottie Burke might pick up it's hard to see the obvious one Joe Cooney's going to pick up he picked up TJ and Shin probably in the half back line uh, Brian yeah interesting you never know they could actually put him on Joe Canning you know because he's, he's he's that ability to obviously move into many different positions so yeah it is interesting to see those, those matchups and I think one person that came on the last day and had a really quick introduction was David Burke you know, he came back on and got yeah. two great great points from playing. That's a big positive, and he really looked refreshed. You know, when he came on, I, I thought his introduction was very good. And obviously, he's 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 going to break forward a lot, but he offers a lot to that team. He's a great link man. He obviously is a brilliant telepathic understanding with Joe Canning. And I thought Joe's performance the last day, even though he was, like I'm not trying to take from his performance against Wexford, he was very selfless and worked extremely hard. He obviously, um, I thought he was excellent against Kenny. He got three um, very good points from play. And, you know, he was probably going to get man the match if Galway had a seen out that game. So, you know, Galway, I, I, I agree with Heather, they have a lot more going for them in terms of, um, you know, marks on the positive side um, and, and should learn from how they maybe dealt with that game the last day. Um, Dotty Burke was excellent uh, at fullback. He caught, it, he caught it over everyone, over, over Colin Fenley and caught a great ball just for half time over TJ's head as well. Not too many you see doing that. So Galway probably have that just little bit at the moment. Tipperary seem to be a team that's almost on the ropes. And it's not the first, and this isn't being overly critical, they're not the first All-Ireland winning team in the season after to be in this sort of form. Yeah, OK, so you're going to go for Galway, Brian, before we let you go? Yeah, I will just, and I agree with Cheddar, like it's one of these ones that it, there's only going to be a point or two between it, I, I anticipate and it could go either way. And that's not trying to sit in the fence. Like, this is, it's very, very hard to call these games. I might just come in on that one, Brian. I think the, the, the key uh, matchup for me is will Galway play um, Conor Cooney's centre forward? Um, or will they go for a different type of role there to cause difficulties to the Tipperary half back lane? And a lot of people haven't commented on Isla Mara playing uh, as a wing back for Tip when he has always been a defensive wing forward or an out and out forward. Uh, um, with with Rowan up to now, um, uh, you know, so it, 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 the tip has changed things around as well. But you know, sometimes when you, when you get up to the really really top stuff, um, you know, some you know th- th- those positions will be tested at that stage. But I'm really I'm really interested in looking at that. Um, you know, Connor Whelan on on Rowan and Maher. Um, you know, Rowan's going to have a difficult time on, on that lad if if that's the way they match up. Fall towards Galway if they make some some small little changes here to to put in tip. Okay, so two Galways um, there. Um, I'm reading that um, right. We'll talk about the other one um, with you here, Cheddar. The Clare and Waterford match. It's uh, probably an interesting one, even even though we we didn't really expect Clare. Um, to get this far, if we're being honest, I think we all went for for Wexford the, le- the last time. Here's a question for you: Liam Cal is talking about work rate a lot, and he said after the Cork win, work rate was one of the main pleasing aspects of it. There was a nice feel to it. There was an energy on the field, and when there's an energy on the field, you always have a chance. Now we know they're using the ball better. They put up a great fight against Limerick. That uh, you know probably was unexpected in a in a lot of situations. How? Does Liam Cahill get 
Waterford working harder than another manager might? Um, look, first of all, Waterford have great players, Willie. You know, I, 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 there's a couple of points that I want to make on that. Um, sometimes managers um, make statements about things. And, and one of the old chestnuts that always surprises me is, um, you know, the, the strength and conditioning, it's a three-year program. Um, and you wonder to yourself, well, what was the previous strength and conditioning doing with the county? Because he is also a highly qualified person. Um, and you'd wonder to yourself, well, if that's the case, the new strength and conditioning person was a completely different program than the previous man. Otherwise than that, how does it take three years to get here? And I'm not saying, sorry, I'm not saying that Liam is saying that. I just he- hear it off. Oh, well, he mentioned it. Liam Cal did mention the strength and conditioning after the game because he, th- he thought they lost a lot of the rooks against Limerick. Now, maybe Limerick were three years on their one ahead. I, I, I'm not sure. Yeah, Limerick are just a big kind of monstrous team, I suppose. Well, there's a bit of that. And, and, and you would sometimes coach for something like that in the terms of, you know, physical aggression, particularly a breaking ball, rook ball and all of that. And interestingly, I actually learned something. It's amazing what you learn as you go along. Um, I remember a number of years ago, um, we were playing Westmead up in Bullangar. And Westmead hurling team had a fantastic uh, way of that. When a rook developed, the first player in from Westmead nearly cleared. It was like rook. It was like rugby. He just cleared everything out of the way. He went straight through the rook right. um, and then turned into the ball and said, James, there's, some, there, there's a great idea. We'll take that on board. Um, so so just to back to your point, um, I think, I, I'm sorry, I'm just surprised. I mean, every most teams sort of work hard, but sometimes, Willie, it doesn't look like that. And there's a whole variety of reasons for that. I mean, nobody can tell me that Matthew O'Hanlon or or any of the Wexford players did not want to work hard last Sunday and weren't properly phys- physiologically prepared to do that. But sometimes there's a confluence of things happen at the one time around, uh, you know, mindset, uh, the psychological mindset going into it, how you're approached. And I suppose the difference between performance in teams now is so fine that if you get it wrong, you can look like a slow team or a team that's not trained or a team that's overtrained. When in reality, there's a whole variety of reasons why that actually happened. Yeah. But I'll just talk to the, the crucial part, I think, for Liam Cattle next Sunday is exactly what he said. Um, they had a very, very high workload six days ago. And sometimes it's hard to get back up to that again. Because if that's what Watford are ultimately relying on for performance, then it's hugely important that that, that, that continues. I have no doubt it will, but I, I think that's the biggest difficulty. And it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a psychological issue. You were playing in a monster final six days ago that you wanted to win. Watford haven't 50 or 70 of them, and their players don't, even though they've been very successful over the last 10 or 12 years. But... but so you come, it's a downer, no matter how you look at it, it's a downer to come back from that. And now you're going in six days later um, to play, um, you know, a team that's actually up, having had a great game the day before that, seven days break, uh, Claire coming into this game, and also Claire have the, uh, you know, probably Shanahan and David McInerney and a couple of players to come back. They're walking top of the ground and your head's a little bit down. How can you turn that around to get that high work rate performance again six days later. That's the challenge that faces Liam, I think. Yeah, I think one challenge that faces um, Liam in Waterford is that, for me, their defence is as good as what's out there and their midfield would be as well. They've a small forward line, don't they? Like, I mean, Shane Bennett's a decent size, but he's not He's not much of a, a man threat in the air. If they're not going with the short game through the hands and, you know, they, they probably don't have that threat. I think it was shown probably more in the last quarter against Limerick, where the Limerick half-back line kind of took over. 
I think that's the key part for Liam that, that you know, clearly they have, now they have a very strong set of backs um, and even in terms of physical, um, you know, they're, they're an aggressive physical team at, at the back and they have size to do that, serious size to do that. But of course, the flip side of that is that, you know, your your agility and movement around the field may not be, you know, that's fine when the ball's in the air or the ball's 50-50. And then, but then when you have teams that, that run you around the place and put the ball in over your head, have you the quickness then to turn and, and get in that tackle and all of that? That hasn't been tested in, in my view yet for Waterford. Uh, but, you know, we, we, you know we, we'll certainly see that from here on in. Um, I, I, I think, um, I think, the really big thing that Liam needs to get the forwards working better. Um, it just didn't appear to me that that combination play that they needed in there was to the level that you'd want to go on and win in All-Ireland. Let's put it that way. I know that's a very high measure to judge them by. But look, they're not in an All-Ireland quarter-final just to fulfil the fixture here or anything like that. They have a serious chance here of having a right go up at this. Um, and I'm not going to go back to the old chestnut on, on, on Austin, um, but just getting him and the rest of the forwards um, you know there was a lot of ball I thought that that went to the half forward line that just wasn't dealt with in other words win the possession and you know so what happens next are we playing it back the field or are we have we you know where's the next where where do I build on this move there needs to be a little bit more build up work to be done there I think for them but clearly Serious team, any team with Kevin Moore and Tyke the Burka. Um, Austin Gleeson has been one of the finest hurlers I've ever seen. Um, and the likes of Jamie Barron and some of those. And Desi Hutchinson looked very impressive earlier on, although, you know, you, you, like Desi, wouldn't Desi Hutchinson play brilliantly in the Limerick system? Is that not the same yeah. game that Graham McCahey played? I think he's brilliant in that. So I, I think, you know, bear in mind that, that he's only in there a short while and in a difficult season to be able to make things work and to wire things up. I think I'd be very interested in looking at Waterford next year because I, I just think that they'll wire up a lot of that around their team and their performances will be the better for it. Yeah, I'm always saying that, but they need, like, Paul Comatney and Shane uh, Bennett, maybe Gleeson then could play in the half-back line, you know, and maybe run at the, at the game a little bit more. I think, what, what, like, what about Claire then, uh, Cheddar? Like, I mean, this Tony Kelly thing, it's just freaky what he's doing. Some of the points in Port Leash were out of this world. Like, I mean, but this cannot be a game plan going forward for Tony Kelly to get the scores he's getting. Like, I mean, you know, like you cannot be that dependent because what happens when he doesn't like, you know, fire? Like, I mean, imagine Callum Lyons now because poor, poor Matthew Hanlon was running around after him the last day. Sure. He wouldn't be anywhere near fast enough for him. That was probably a mistake Davy made. Like, I mean, the one where he ran up the sideline, it was very obvious that, you know, he just was way too fast for Hanlon, you might maybe Callum Lyons or someone young like that might be able to stay with him. Surely we talked last week about him being man marked. I think he was man marked against Wexford, but it was just the wrong person. Yeah, no, I, I agree. Look, first of all, um, Brian Lohan has done an exceptional job in player considering the players that he's missing. Yeah. You know, and never complain, never complains about not having his full hand no. or makes excuses or anything. Like, there's no doubt John Conlon is probably one of the go-to forwards in Ireland for the last seven or eight years. Uh, Podge Collins, Colin Gallivan, uh, Peter Duggan was going to be the next, that type of player. You know, these are our position winners for you and he's missing them. And he was missing Aaron Shanahan just before the game and he was missing David McInerney. Yeah. That's player. Who take six players out of Galway or Tipperary that we've been speaking about a minute ago or take them out of Waterford at the minute? And, you know, they might be easy enough to talk to. So, uh, so a huge credit to Brian Lowen for, for keeping a, a team 
focused on the job, uh, high energy, and you know, getting some some knocks as they went along the way, and dealing with them, and moving on, and getting the wins. Um, but I do think that they weren't tested against Wexford, um, and I think their over reliance on Tony. I think Tony is captain this year, and by God, is he showing some leadership? If he is, um, and I think I think Claire have move Tony around the field cleverly and put him in the right positions that he can most, do most damage against you. But I think as, the, as they're moving up the, the, the ladder here in terms of quality teams are playing, play, the, the opposition teams will have more uh, people to be able to deal with that and maybe better uh, um, uh, um, resources to be able to deal with that. And I think Claire are completely over-reliant on Tony at the minute. I mean, those scoring is... He's, he's automatic all-star. Is he automatic player for the year already? It's going to take a fair performance from somebody else. Directly but but what, do you, what do you say to that, though, Cheddar? Like, I mean, if a player's in that kind of form, like, I mean, would it be bad management to say, here, look, stop giving him every ball? Do you know what I mean? Like, I mean, what do you do in that situation? Like, I mean, like he's on fire. And I do, like, I mean, I completely agree. It's way, It's very, very dangerous. But it's very, very risky to say, here, lads, do you know what? Let's let's not play it through Tony as often. Let's get other lads on the ball. I wouldn't say it. Oh, no, you, and you wouldn't. Um, you know, when a player's on form, you don't have to sell it. It's any sport. When you, um, there's a sports psychology term called flow, and it's sort of when everything is just falling right for you, just feed it yourself. And Tony Kelly is simply in flow at the minute. But I think, I think Brian has cleverly positioned him in places to get on the ball, whether he's at 13 whether he's uh, and coming out uh, that you can't see him, or whether he's at 11 and playing a little bit deeper out the field, or whether he's at 8. Um, and I, I'll be interested, I won't be surprised to see him at 11 next, uh, you know, uh, this weekend. Yeah, he will be, I'd say, yeah. You know, you, you've now caused a bit of a problem for, for the opposition manager. I can't leave him out there. This is the this was the game with Noel McGrath, you know, Bally Hale played TJ out there an awful lot of the time. Do you leave him out there? So he'll tip four or five pints while you'll be looking at him. Um, you know, so you can't do that. So, so you have now got to change your game plan to try and neuter the likes of Tony Kelly, Kelly and all of the things that you have practiced in the last couple of weeks, the positive stories you've told your team are part now for the minute because they have forced me to react to you. That That's the, that's the real uh, dynamic that's going on on the sideline here. And the more you can figure this out before the match and deal with it before the match, the more chance you have that your game plan is the one that's, that's that's going on the field here and you force the opposition. So Tony Kelly is in that spot at the minute. I just think that it's just over-reliant. I mean, his scoring is sensational. Uh, what did he score the last day? 115, yeah. whatever, 1-5 one, or 1-6 from play. To be honest with you, if you don't know a freeze and only scored the once from play, it's still sensational. Um, and it, it, the other part about him is that his scores are game-breaking scores. They're not, they're not just, you know, Claire acting 15 pints ahead and he puts another three pints to the board and everybody else has, has started down tools. He's doing it when they need him most. Um, so I'll be amazed if um, if Watford, I think Watford will have the, I think I don't think they'll play Tony Kelly in the middle of the field because I think if we are in the middle of the field, there's a better chance of neutering his performance out there. But I think Watford will figure this out as well and may take some of his influence away from the game. Will yeah, I think Liam Cal might be clever enough to have some sort of a plan for him. Maybe Callum Lyons... Uh, marking him from centre back and and Tyg de Burke dropping off whoever's the wing forward back in because they'll be trying to free him up I suppose into his role. Who do you fancy here, Cheddar? Um, gosh, look, both games, both games are so evenly balanced. And you know, if if the other way around, Galway was playing Clare, Tipper playing Waterford, you might have a different view. It just so happens that the two teams are so evenly matched here, and I think these teams are evenly matched. 
Um, and I certainly would give a lot to, you know, Clare or Pablo de Ground at the minute to feel good about themselves, that players come back in, although where are you going to put them? Um, and Waterford, no matter what you say, in the back of your mind, are saying, second, we lost a, a monster final here, and now we've got to turn up again, you know, in, in six days' time. But I'm going to stick the neck out here, and I just think that there will be, that Waterford will get a couple of things right, that they will stop Tony, or certainly stop the influence that he has, uh, number one, and I think they will get the work rate that they're looking for in the middle third, and I think they'll get Austin uh, to be more influential in the game, even though he scored three points the last day, but we're talking here about one of the best players I've ever seen. Um, I think they'll get that right. I think they'll get their half-forward line working, their forward line working a little bit better. Um, the game's in Parky Keeve as well, um, and Waterford, for, you know, Waterford like going there. It's only over the road from a lot from West Waterford and that as well. I know it makes a difference now in terms of crowds and that, but sometimes little things like that can, can turn it. So I'm just going to stick the neck out here. I think a lot of people would go with Clare, their high energy at the minute, um, but I just didn't think that Wexford tested them at all, to be honest with you. Um, and, and we're going back to that point with the reliance on Tony Kelly. Um, and I just think that Waterford might just get through on this one. Yeah, I think any team that beats Cork comfortably enough, um, it turns and then runs uh, Limerick to four points in a, a Munster final. You know what I mean? Is a, de- is, a, is a very good bet. And just one point before we move off this is that if Waterford get to the All-Ireland semi-final, or if Clare get to the Waterford semi-final, if Clare get to it, the job Brian Lowen has done, considering the players he's missing, is phenomenal. And he'd be in line for manager of the year if those awards were given out. And also, Waterford, if they make the All-Ireland semi-final, Liam Cal taking over a team who hadn't win, won in a long time, whose confidence was on the ground, to get them to a, a Munster final, put in a great performance against a phenomenal team and make an All-Ireland semi-final. Do you know what I mean? It would be, Both managers have already done great jobs in my eyes, but to make an All-Ireland semi-final under circumstances for both of them, Without a doubt. Um, and I just want to go back to that. I want to kill that point as well, Willie, because um, it's thrown out a little bit that, you know, the manager is responsible. It's the players that win matches um, and get themselves motivated, generally speaking. And, you know, Brian Cody is never too far wrong in, in the things he says. He says, at best, management have 30% of an influence over the team. And he's probably he's probably right in that. Nonetheless, um, I think considering... The, the the handicaps that Brian has had to work with, he had they played really, really well. Um, and there may be another surprise in him yet. I mean, with, you know, Liam has got Waterford playing well. The difficulty about this year, Woolly, is it's very difficult to figure out form because, you know, you couldn't say that Watford tested Clare uh, last weekend. And it's just it's just difficult to find form. We're talking about Tipperary here, All-Ireland champions that haven't found form. And it's just difficult to compare, you know, where do they stand and all that. It's just difficult to compare that at the minute. I do think that Clare and Watford have a bit to do to beat any of the other four teams in the Ireland Championship yet. Probably, yeah. No, I'd agree on that. Here, we'll finish up just with the, Joe, the big game in the Joe McDonough Cup is Kerry and Carlo. Um, this is down in Austin Stack Park. And if we're being honest, the winner of this will be in the final against Antrim. There's a cup, If there's a draw, there's a couple of different permutations. But you'd imagine Kerry, to be fair, after winning their first two games, they've had two shots to nothing to make this final. So they've lost the first one. They have the second one at home. Carlo will be in the same boat, probably one of the favourites to have made the final before. Um, so this is a massive game in Austin Stack Park. How do you see, who do you fancy in this one? Um, well, I know that Kerry are very difficult to beat in Austin Stack Park. Um, and sometimes maybe just Carlo don't travel well. Carlo really very difficult to, to, to beat in Carlo. Um I, I suppose look, there's a, it's a huge game and a huge prize for both teams. 
Uh, clearly for Kerry to come into Leinster next year, it's a huge prize. Carl were there before, they'll want to get back up there again. Um, so I, I just think that the matches in Austin Stack Park, it's a 1.30 uh, um, uh, throw-in. And those little things are difficult because, you know, you need to travel down very early. Your whole clock about how you approach going changes. It must be three, must be three hours down to car down to Austin Star down to Tralee from Carlo and so yeah, on. So that's a bit. That, that's a little bit harsh, considering that's not a televised game, and there doesn't seem to be any other reason. It's a very early start for Carlo, isn't it? Yeah, yes, it is, and and um, you know that that's what management teams do. Um, I remember we played up in Derry one time, and I'd say a lot of our time was was tied up with getting absolutely precisely the times that we land there when we do our warm up and all of those things, and we went up the night before. Um, you know, so all of these things are are, are important because we're going back to that point you were talking about earlier on, finding performance on the day rather than being flat. Um, so uh, look, let's stick on the hurling. Um, both teams have put in a lot in the last four or five years. Kerry and Carlo, uh, they're both good teams. Some got some of them. Have, there's players on both teams that would walk onto any of the six teams that we've been discussing earlier, any of the four teams we've been discussing earlier. Um, I think it'll be a cracking game. I just think that Kerry and Austin Stack Park have a little bit of edge over teams and have proved it over the years, including we say last year with with against Offaly. And I just think that that we got them over the line. They know now it's knockout. Last weekend was a knockout. It was up in Antrim. They knew it was a knockout. This is, I think I get them over the line. But it only gets them into the final uh, yeah. in, in, in But nonetheless, it's so important for them. Yeah. I mean, this is Valencia, obviously, as well. It's a huge, huge game for both teams. It definitely does. Just finally there, because I had it on my list to ask Brian about Offaly, because they, um, you, or before he left, but we didn't we didn't have time to mention it to Brian. I don't want to stick to Offaly. I want to talk just briefly even about Down. And I saw a lot of people giving out about the Sunday game. And, and I'm guilty of this as well. On Monday, I spoke about Offaly rather than Down. And Down have just won the first ever game ever in the history of hurling on penalties. And all the talk, again, was about Offaly. Do you know what I mean? Offaly kind of, Offaly's demise dominates the conversation rather than, Jesus, Down have just beaten, beaten Offaly in a penalty shootout. I looked at they are two huge stories, um, Willie. Offaly's demise um, is it's just difficult to take. And you know, you're just neutral hurling people. It's difficult to take. Um, because I've been beating the drum often enough about trying to improve the number of counties that would be able to compete at the top level to 12 or 14 or 16 or whatever we can do. And here we have a, a, a county with recent success um, and a great style of hurling. Everything about them would have been great, great followers like that. And suddenly they're going the other way. And that's difficult for a neutral hurling person to take. On the flip side of that, uh, you know, Down have been strong before. I, Down have never been simple. They might have four or five clubs and I think there maybe two or three other clubs that just mightn't be as strong as the other four. I think they play in the Antrim League or have done so for a number of years because I have a lot of friends up in Antrim. Um, and, uh, you know, they're very, very, very serious about their hurling, particularly all around the Arab Peninsula. Very serious about their hurling there. Um, so it, it, it was a difficult one for Offaly to go up to Newry uh, two weeks running. And, you know, I'm going back to that point, Willie, about the whole you know, arranging for the body clock and tiredness and fatigue and all of those things. Um, so it was a difficult one for them. But I, I do agree with you. I don't think there was enough written about down and the achievement of, of, of what they achieved. Um, and, you know, so, you know, um, I, even, I, I would even say, Willie, that the, the, um, the media um, support, for example, for the Munster final and the Munster final last week, I thought was weak, to be honest with you. 
in, at a time when people knew there wasn't going to be crowds go to it, when everybody, including GA, PROs and everybody else and journalists and all of that, could have upped their game and produced a proper uh, uh, presentation for both finals. Yeah, I saw the, the Sunday game got a lot of criticism. And again, I want to repeat, I don't want to be overly critical because my, on the show on Monday, I just talked about Offaly. Now, I do the show on my own. I don't have a production team like the Sunday game have. And I'm just trying to put myself in a down player's shoes. They've just beaten Offaly in the first ever penalty shootout um, in the history of hurling a traditional county. And you go on and look at the Sunday game and they don't show any of the penalty shootout and they just talk about Offaly. You'd be fairly sick. Wouldn't you? You'd be annoyed, wouldn't you? You would have thought, like, we're never a story. Surely today we're, we're some sort of a yeah. story. Yes, no, I do agree with that. I think, Willie, even, you know, you're right, even for your own show, you know, you need to be cognizant of those. I fully get it. You know, we're all long enough to, to know how the thing works here. I mean, but for RTE, it's a little bit different. They're not a fully commercial station. Yeah. So, you know, we know, let's speak honestly here. We know that they have financial issues and all of that. But a lot of the time, um, you know, would it, is it, does it make good commercial sense um, to give an awful lot of airtime to something that the public may not be tuned into and as such then advertiser and everybody else isn't tuned in. We know how it works. Nonetheless, they are the, the public station here um, and they certainly should have given a little, little bit more to that. And I just think the story in itself deserved an awful lot more support than it did. Um, and I, I think, you know, even for ourselves, you know, I, I think let's let's look at that as well and, and prove on other teams. Yeah, exactly. Cheddar, thanks very much. Cheers, Wally. Great stuff. We'll be back on Monday and we'll review the two All-Ireland quarterfinals. We'll talk to you all then. Good luck. And when I started running, I suppose I didn't stop. And when I got the chance to go, I said I'd stay going. So it opened up. We're only the small little fish out there, so we are. And uh, we're trying hard to make it through. But it's hard to get the breaks when you're the smaller fish. Because I love this county so much, you know. And it's just, I'm delighted that the lads, the lads did it for the people of Waterford today because, like, I, I'm heartbroken. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.